Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Tom. How are you today? Good morning, Russ. I'm doing well. How about you? It's mor- Yes, it's morning here, too. It's, it, it happens that way. <laughs> morning comes first, I guess. Morning comes first. That's right. And today we are joined by Barry Green, and it is not morning for Barry Green. It's nighttime in Singapore. Yeah, because he's in Singapore. <laughs> Barry does this thing where he lives in Singapore part of the time. I'm not entirely certain why, but is it? Is, nice it city. is it? Yeah, I mean, I th- the last time I was there, I thought it was really nice. Actually, I, yeah. I like Singapore a lot, but yeah, it's um, it's kind of cool. I hired a street photographer to walk around with me and do street photography and stuff, just just because I have no like I go to these cities and I don't know where anything is, and so I can read the guidebook, but like it's so much easier to hire a street photographer and just walk uh-huh. around with them because they know every little corner of the city. You know, they've lived they've lived in that city long enough. And so that's always been a habit of mine. If I go to a city I've never been before, I go to like TripAdvisor or something, some some service, and I try to find a street photographer I can hire for a half a day. And they'll spend four hours with me just like walking around the city and like showing me good places to take pictures. And, a good suggestion. Yeah. yeah. Take that one up. Yeah. So it's 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 a really cool because they know where all the big churches and religious sites are and, you know, stuff like that. And, and so and they know which ones are open to the public and which ones are not open to the public and and they know all the really cool bridges to go to and all the markets and all that kind of stuff. And so it's a lot easier than you wandering around by yourself saying, I just don't even know where I'm going. Like there's some guidebook someplace. It's um, so, yeah. Um, so anyway, so Barry's here to talk to us or talk with us about DDoS inflection. Now, DDoS is kind of interesting because we go on these stretches where it seems like it's going down, like the DDoS levels are not increasing and we've kind of gotten to the point where we can kind of handle what we have. And then we get to this point again where things people figure out a new way of building DDoS attacks. And um, right now, I think the big one is still IoT, right? Or is there something after IoT? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there was a big inflection point where we said everybody did um reflection attacks because they didn't want to expose their network the bots that they were controlling and now people don't seem to care they're just like no put it all on the line (laughs) oh well it's interesting at that point there the ddos goes up and down and this is something that you don't get with the marketing because you get you know marketing from cloudflare akamai and netscout and others you know they'll put the reports out but I don't get into like what's going on because I keep like when I do materials and say, here's DDoS briefings, I say, remember, computers don't do DDoS. People do DDoS. So there's a dynamic of the people behind the DDoS and what they do. And so you'll have these criminological cycles, people who do cybercrime, like I'm going to extort you. And so you have these extortion cycles and they go up and they go down. So you have a whole bunch of people doing extortion and then the industry will react. And then sometimes like DD4BC, you get arrest, you find the perpetrators, they get arrested. All of a sudden DDoS goes away for a while because people, criminals go like, ooh, the cops are after us. Let's go hide for a while. Then they come back, right? Right. That's typical crime stuff. 
And then because, because buying we, those new hot sports cars is you just can't hold off for so long. And and that's one of the the other dangers in there is one of the things I talk about that's happening generic overall in the cybersecurity space is that cybersecurity is actually a consequence, not the problem. The problem is we don't have an international justice system. So when we go out there and find a cyber criminal, we can't do anything, right? And the consequence of no international justice is you get lots of cyber crime. So what happens is the cyber criminals go out there and they try ransomware, they do DDoS. They go, oh, I've made some money. I bought something. I take a break. I come back. I do it again. Their skills keep on going up and up and up. Their capabilities go up and up and up. But the, the good guys, all of us trying to defend and build resilient networks and resilient systems, we get exhausted. We keep on spending money, yeah. right? So you got this, we got this very unhealthy uh, cycle going on. And we see that, especially DDoS right now with what's going on with the, the threat actors, which are not, I, you know, I don't call them um, hacktivists that work for Russia. I call them uh, privateers. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. These are letters of marquee. These are privateers. That's what we have. These are, now. These are you know, these are yeah. like the the G, GRU, Russian military intelligence says, here's your target list today. And they don't do, and they're doing things that just are causing chaos because they go through and say, I'm going to attack a site for five minutes. It causes damage. It gets everybody all in a, in a fritz of, of what's going on. But 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 then they, they move on. Yeah. Because they don't need to stay. Because the damage they're doing is the chaos inside the organization. Yeah. Right. And the consequences of the chaos inside the organization. Lots so, of trust, so, all of those things that go into right. Yeah. So so the cycles that we get is now mixed because we got the cyber criminals. We do get hacktivists, because hacktivists would be like every year, right before the Japanese whaling fleet leaves port, there's a whole bunch of hacktivists and do DDoS in Japan, right? That's an annual event. That's hacktivist. I don't like whaling. I hit the fisheries, right? That's a that's a hacktivist example. And then we got the cyber war examples. Um, and, you know, it's just, you know, very, uh, you can't, you can't ignore DDoS yeah. uh, these days. It's something you have to build uh, resiliency in your system to be able to respond. Yeah. But it's. Um, yeah, it does. It, it reminds me a lot right now of like the Pirates Lafitte. And, you know, even the even the letters of marquee that Britain put out and the U.S. put out on each other and have privateers go out and with armed ships, you know, and try to take the others. Uh, and I just read this book called, uh, what was it? Um, uh, the Wager. And it's all about this British ship that went after Spanish shipping. And they ended up stuck on an island in Wager Island, or just, just on the other side of the, the Cape of Good Hope or Cape of the Horn of Africa, whatever it was. And, you know, all the stuff that they went through and everything. But it is amazing to me that they actually, you know, they did. They sent these ships out and they just gave them, they said, if you if you take this other ship, you get 20%. Yeah. And whatever's on it. And so th this all reminds me that the the government's kind of government sponsored stuff kind of reminds me of that. It's like mercenaries. Like, oh, they're mm -hmm. they're one far, they're one step away. So you can't really blame me because I'm not actually paying them. What I'm actually doing is I'm giving them permission to take part of the spoils. But but I'm giving them, I'm telling them who's weak and who they right. should go after. And so, yeah, you know, the government would share intelligence about, 
oh, there's going to be a galleon full of gold on a certain date leaving here and send all these privateers after it. And they didn't actually take the galleon. They just sent all the privateers after it. You know, I feel it's the, it's the same thing. So, so, so go ahead, Barry. Sorry. So, so, you know, with these sort of activities happening, um, one of the things that was happening around 2018, the end part of 2018, is we were getting a lot of, of very um, a, a cr- cyber criminal wave. And the cyber criminal wave was doing very simple reflective DDoS. So they're using very simple tools. Um, and they weren't using any of the advanced tools, tools that have been created years ago. They didn't, the, the new crew, they just used the simple things out there. But what was going on is we were seeing DDoS attacks crossing the wire that was um, symmetrical. So Russ, you would understand this because both you and I have built equipment because, you know, when you pair 400 gig connections together into a bundle between two routing devices, those routing devices do certain things. And it's very hopeful that all traffic will be, you know, not symmetrical, not flow symmetrical. Not flow symmetrical. If it's it's flow symmetrical, all of a sudden the whole bundle can destabilize. And so uh, there's a colleague of mine, Damian Mentor, over at Google. He and I were seeing some of these flow statistics and we're going like, we need to do something about this. We need to start. We 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 can we know we can backtrace and find where these guys are hosting their command and control. We need to do something. So what happened in 2019 um, through Mog, uh, the message abuse, you know, uh, group, uh, we held a uh, kind of like a DDoS suppression workshop, and we pulled a bunch of people together and we said, let's do something about it. Let's let's come up with a model and we start going after them. Because they think we can't find them. We can find them. If you got NetFlow and you got control over the networks and the backbones, you can start tracing back and find out here's where it came in from. And so by the end of 2019, going into 20, especially 2020, we really ramped up. We were tracking these DOS attacks. And basically, we kept it simple. Every Monday, we would wake up and we'd have a list of, of um, you know, four protocols with three attacks from the previous week. Everybody would check their NetFlow, check the statistics. We'd get these uh, from Shadow Server. Shadow Server has all the reflectors out there. So if I'm like Charter or AT&T or Telia or whatever, I, I know what reflectors are on my network. So I see that the reflection traffic coming into my network, here's a NetFlow, and everybody kind of collaborate with the, together on a Slack channel, backtrace it back and say, oh, this crew came in through this operator. Let's call them up. Let's look it up. And let's plug that port. So in other words, instead of trying to do the, the infamous VCP38 address, address validation everywhere, right? because we were already like 85% of the internet doing source address validation, it's the last 20% is always hard. Instead of doing that, we found the 0.1% and we plugged the hole. Immediate consequence. Now the bad guy goes... And we'll be having watching them. And the bad guy goes, oh, crap, it's not working. (laughs) (laughs) I need to move. Let me go move somewhere else. The next week, another DOS attack. Oh, it's the same crew. Plug the hole. Oh, crap, I have to move again. Let me tell all my customers. These will be the booters and stressors, right? And so within within the middle of 2020, especially going into 2021, we're just driving them nuts. So in other words, it was shifting the cost model instead of having the cost model on the 
victims of the DDoS. We're going after the perpetrators of the DDoS and, you know, just causing them grief. Um, so by the end of 2021, going into 2022, we started seeing the, the metric that we we're looking, which is could we impact them to the point where instead of reflection, they had to go back to direct path. In other words, use a bot. Bots are easier to find. And then we started seeing that that shift happening, right? And then along parallel to that, FBI and others were going out there doing arrest with it. So what it shows was that is as we're facing all these cyber criminal activities out there and this problem, you know, people talk about, let's do defense. Let's do, you know, really good architecture. But what we can also do is have a investment into disruption, disrupt the bad guys, disrupt their command and control, disrupt their operations. Um, we had a lot of malware um, had a had a big break right when the tanks rolled across the border in Ukraine because um, certain law enforcement agencies um, sh uh, put pressure and shut down the um, cryptocurrency tumblers. So now you couldn't launder the money. Now those are recovering. So you're getting ransomware starting to increase back up again because they can exit the crypto out. Before, but that's a that's an example of disruption. That had a big disruptive effect with it. So um, so this is kind of like we can build. We we got constantly need to build good resilient architectures. But at the same time, there's got to be a, a frac a, a, a part of our budget and our organizations need to go the org need to go the groups that are actually disrupting, right? Otherwise, they're going to get ca caught in a a a, a no win arms race. The bad guys are going to be able to get more and more out of the system, and we're going to be continually to spend, and that's just not sustainable for the industry. When you were when you were talking, I was thinking. What's it looks like? What's going on is accelerating the arms race, but in 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 a direction that would favor the good guys, because as you as you plug holes and you force them to move around, they're probably going to start learning. I can't do it this way anymore, and they'll become more capable. But but at least they're the ones on their back feet, and you know at least give you some time, right? This is the history lesson that we applied because we that's exactly what happened. Because back in two thousand two two thousand three, when bots started to appear. Um, there was a collaborative ISP backbone group, NSPSEC, and we'd go out there and, and whack them all. Oh, here's a bot, command and control, whack it. Another command and control, whack it. Here's another command and control, whack it. So what happened is the bad guys came up with using DNS, right? And the different variants of having of obfuscating the IP address through different, you know, DNS techniques, right? To make it harder and harder to find a command and control, right? So, um, so you had this this wave of it, but then, as Russ said, then it went away for a little while. Went away for a little while because the the criminals couldn't figure out how to make money, right? So, so it wasn't there. But then, once you had cryptocurrency pop up, ah, I can make money. <laughs> Not going to extort you. Send to my wallet. I'll say takes back up. So, one of the fallacies people think is, and it frustrates me, is people say, "Oh, brand new attack." I looked at the taxes. Oh, I remember that from 1998. Oh, I remember that one from 2001. But, you know, all the young people who are doing the attacks right now, they don't remember these things. They don't go back in history and see the different type of attack vectors. So they'll get these new ones. Like one of the, the one I'm really, really worried about right now, I got a blog on. Um, it's port 179. Oh, really? 
So, Ross, I don't know if you looked at my blog, but I, I had Shadow Server pop up a report, but I I, I saw an attack on 179, oh, a couple no. of creative attacks. Yeah, you're right? talking about you're talking about TCP 179 BGP, right? Yes. Yep. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's lovely. Yeah. That's... I don't need to worry about auroras and route objects and things like that. If I start knockdown session consistent with a low level attack, because I don't need a lot, it's it's a <laughs> yep. it's a cheap CPU and a router. <laughs> and and, and and in reality, a lot of what we try to do to secure BGP actually makes the target fatter. Yeah, it may it it, it makes the the um, the attack surface nice and heavy and lots of places to hit us. Yeah, and and most routers are just not designed for the kind of processing power or to have anything on the front end to try to do anything about this. So and, so the. So the practices, and one of the things I'm going around right now is interviewing uh, different operators um, to catch up with the different architectures they have is the best practice is to not expose your 179, right? So yes, you can put an ACL in front of it. Yes, you can use general purpose TTL mechanism, but you actually don't want to expose it. That's just what Russ is saying there. It's it's not really heavy duty equipment there. You can't put a firewall in front of it. <laughs> Right. Um, so, so um, you know, trying to f- find some of these techniques that people are doing right now, you know, and then go on around and, and, and advising organizations to say, yeah, you will probably want to check your network and see if 179 is exposed, you know, so easy I mean, target. To- but, but somebody's got to expose 179 to get BGP open. I mean, so there's got to be a way to get adjacent, right? Mm-hmm. If you're next to each other, it's adjacent. Yeah, you agree on here's my parent architecture. I do my loopbacks. There's 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 a there was a bunch yeah. of techniques you know that we 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 used to teach. One of the one I'm waiting to get back to Cupertino, my home in Cupertino, to get one of your books, Russ, because I think you wrote it up in one of your books. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is true that used to when we had a lot of flood attacks and people were using. Um, multicast and and um, targeted targeted broadcast like subnet broadcast that we would do things to say you know what you just don't forward you just don't you don't forward routing traffic control plane traffic off the segment you just don't do it like you just don't yeah. you just yep. that's the end of it and if you receive something from off segment that's control plane traffic you just throw it away because why is it there like why would I be running OSPF multi-hop or anything like that. And this, by the way, is one of the reasons that I have for many years said that one of the advantages of having two routing protocols in your control plane and a data center fabric is that if your if your underlay protocol is something like IS to IS, it's layer two only, and it's yes. only on a single hop. So mm-hmm. some host being taken over in your data center fabric and controlled by some botnet they can go out and screw with your verse. They can go out and screw with your BGP stuff because it's multi-hop and everything else, but they won't ever be able to take down the actual IP next hops in your management side because right. you just can't, right? It's just not available to do that. Right. There's no way into that system. So, yeah. I'm a, little, then- I'm a little surprised. I don't know that this is even exposed. Like I, so I, <laughs> I worked at, I operated one eyeball network and I mean, stuff like this, it's like all of the, all of the major platforms have control plane policing to keep this from ever happening. 
but you're saying that if they're having if people are attacking, then apparently people are leaving it open. Yeah. But CPP oh, can yeah. be overrun. CPP can be overrun. We're only talking about a single processor on a router, and routers aren't designed with big processors and lots of memory. Right. Yeah, but still, like, <laughs> if someone can connect to TCP one seventy nine from off your network, that is preventable. Like, yeah. I don't know if you're talking. This is where. Um, so, uh, Adam, because right. Before we we started this podcast, we were chit chatting about um, skills and resiliency and things like that. And so what we're talking about here, these techniques, um, is where we're what I'm seeing is we're we're missing out. I mean, the Facebook outage last year because they didn't have out of band. The Rogers outage because they put everything on a common infrastructure. So you're at home, right. you can't even get well. You're doing yeah, Facebook, rules, right? Facebook was a Facebook was a cell phone in multiple ways. They also tied multiple systems together, and one of those systems has a very very long cache time. Yeah, and so you know you pull your records out of DNS, and then everybody suddenly gets NX domains, and server not found, right. and then all your recursive servers cache that, and they're hanging on to it, and like oh no, yeah. So so um. These sort of resiliency design techniques um, are just not, um, people don't realize that this is the sort of thing that you need to go in. And it's not like unknown. As I said, you know, there's a reason why I have, you know, if uh, if I was in, um, you know, see a videotape of me, you know, or Zoom link of me in, in Cupertino, I have a wall of books behind me and they're all networking books that I never throw away, right? Because somebody has written it up in the past right and i'll go like okay okay i can't remember how that was done oh yeah yeah uh robert smith wrote that up or greg shadell okay grab that oh russ wrote that up in this book oh this you know you go grab grab those materials and go like okay these are things i need to put into my design because i'm going to get like a, a dos attack or i'm going to get like somebody breaking into my network Right. And here's the things I want to be able to respond with it or disaster. I get fiber cuts, fires, yeah. Yeah. things like that. Right. Yeah. We've, we've lost the, I think what's happened to some degree is, is that we've so virtualized stuff that we don't actually understand how it works anymore underneath. Mm. You know, we're just completely lost when it comes to, I don't know, fiber connectors and, TDMs and BERTs and all that other stuff. We just don't know what we're talking about anymore. We're completely lost in this stuff. And the other thing I think is that we've developed this habit of, oh, I can run this in a virtual server and I can run this open source software that solves all these problems for me. And I'm just going to, I'm trying to solve this point problem. We have a lot in our industry of, I'm not trying to solve everything. I'm trying to solve this problem. And we're not thinking about, okay, when you solve that one problem, you are actually potentially causing problems elsewhere mm -hmm. and you're opening up new attack surfaces and you're not thinking mm -hmm. about that. You're just solving that one little problem. I mean, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. I've hit that so many times. Um, people just solve one problem and they do it in a really bad way. Um, and, you know, like- And not like, realizing they will scale over ASICs and FPGAs, yes, network processors. Yes, and, exactly. You know, that, that sort of- uh, like the bank, like the bank that self-dosed by installing the, the the server software for their backup program on every one of their host, ten twenty thousand <laughs> hosts with the server software, and like you know, it, it's a simple mistake, right? 
but so I was, so, so Barry, I was thinking when you were talking earlier about um, how you cooperated, uh, operators cooperated with each other to find, you know, compare NetFlow, figure out how to plug the holes and stuff. Um, I wonder, so have, have you ever experienced the threat actors cooperating or do they mostly operate independently? (laughs) So, so around um, a year, year and about three months of operating, we're poking at them every week, right? And the methodology is, if you, the methodology I can, I'll share it with you guys, the slides, is basically a combination of Moneyball, right? So Jose Navarro was, was poking at me, he says, you should do an experiment, do this. And I, I was watching the movie Moneyball, says, oh, we yeah. need to rethink everything, right? And the yeah. other one is, is um, there's this um, management principle, four disciplines of execution. We don't look at the lag, look at the lead. What's the lead? Every Monday, we get together, we spend a half an hour. Mm-hmm. Every Monday, every Monday, poke, poke, poke. Just go after the bad guys. Like, so then the bad guys are getting so frustrated because they're trying to find places. So the first thing they did is they went over to CADA, and CADA has a spoofer project, right? And they tried mm-hmm. some addresses over there. And then, of course, CADA goes, and because we, this whole community is tight. We are working with CADA. CADA goes like, hey, we're getting all this strange uptick in people probing our tools. What's going on? <laughs> oh, okay. Let's find out where they're coming from. Which addresses did they use? Oh, let's go out there and block those right away. So they go out there and think there's a it, like this address is spoofable. They try it and it's not spoofable because there's an at ACL on it, <laughs> right? BCP38. Yeah, yeah. Right. Then they go, okay, we need to have a. Then somebody says, I'm going to do a site. So to do a site, here are addresses validated to be. Now, of course, they're not realizing. It's a whole bunch of good threat intelligence people who are looking at this and finding it and says, oh, there's the site. Let's sign up. Right. <laughs> oh, here's here's the 20 this week. Okay, let's plug those up. Let's call up. We call up people, plug it. You know, it's the point one percent, right? Because the it isn't like let's do all the network security for network security. It's like, what's the threat? The threat are the people behind the DOS attack. Right? How do we go after the people behind the DOS attack? And I think that's what a lot of people in the whole cybersecurity community, a lot of times get messed up. They get taught, uh, um, like I got a slide, I talk about um, our, one of our problems in the cybersecurity community is people, it's like um, somebody robs a bank and then the sheriff stands up to give the briefing about the bank robbery. He starts talking about the AK-47. AK-47 had this round magazine, had a very unique pink stock, you know, had a scope on it like this and it had the strap like this on it. Right. And people will go to the sheriff says, okay, they had a gun. Who cares? Who are the robbers? Are they, how are you going to catch <laughs> the robbers? What are you going to do with the robbers? Right. Yes. Right. That's, that's, you, you read articles in cybersecurity. That's what you read. You read about the AK 47. Mm-hmm. Right. And people say, oh, attribution is hard. Yeah. Attribution is hard. Catching the back robbers is hard. Right. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's a skill base you have to grow up with it. Is it impossible? No, it's not impossible. Can you put handcuffs on people? Yes, putting handcuffs on people, right? You know, um, there's uh, techniques that law enforcement in different countries have worked together to kind of work together. Just like the the, the, the geeks, the network operators and threat intelligence people are working together, uh, thanks to the FBI and Microsoft that got the NCTFA, the National Cyber Forensics Task Force, out of Pittsburgh, created together. That's the the collaboration network of law enforcement because you have law enforcement from different parts of the world and i encourage this to countries all over the world do the six month or do a one-year rotation send your police officer 
to live in Pittsburgh and work at NCTFA. All you have to do is pay for them to be there, right? You don't have to pay to be admitted. You're just paying for their time there. And they will be working with their peers from different countries together on things that, you know, like these DDoS suppressions and things like that, right? They go back home. They have this huge Rolodex of other oh, police yeah. officers, yeah, right? Yeah. And they use that Rolodex. So mm-hmm. collaboration, you know, is, is uh, you know, whether it's, you know, network operators or security, um, you know, threat hunters or here in the police, they, they, they work, works together with it, you know? So that's, that's cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. This is like the early days of Cisco. This is why we all have big Rolodexes because we all worked at Cisco in the early days. <laughs> what about, what about the threat actors themselves though? And maybe it's hard to t- see if they're cooperating. Like do they, do they ever cooperate among themselves? Have you ever detected yeah. patterns where they, they collaborate, they collaborate as in, you know, how criminals collaborate together. So there is a collaboration. And and there's some dangerous things, like in, there's a um, podcast, Darknet Diaries, and it's a really good episode on what happened with uh, Dominican Republic. You know, so there's collaboration within the Latin American community, the Spanish-speaking community in there. But it also talks about how uh, the Conti crew, you know, would... You know, when when the tanks rode across the border and Conti was like Ukrainians and Russians, they had to separate. Well, they have this big infrastructure because they collaborate, different specialization within the criminal activities. So they had to break it apart. And so um, all of a sudden, Costa Rica gets attacked. Now, mm-hmm. I'm guilty as many others saying like, oh, I guess because Costa Rica is signing on to the sanctions and they're trying to send a warning shot, right? You know, we thought it was about the politics, right? And it really did damage to Costa Rica. Then we find out that, no, it was all a smokescreen. The Ukrainians in Mm -hmm. Conti and the Russians in Conti were breaking apart into different crews because they couldn't work with each other anymore. They're at war. Right, right. They broke apart. And that's that's the 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 sovereign aspect of it. So here you have a criminal operation that decided to break apart and to get everybody distracted, they attack a country. Yeah. People could not get money is... out of the banks. There was like, you know, the country yeah. is in a standstill with it, right? Um, and so uh do they collaborate? Yes, they collaborate because there's no checks and balances, right? If if this was a criminal crew like here I'm in Singapore, if there was a a triad gang that started acting up, Singapore would be all over them because they're in Singapore. Right. The laws in Singapore would be actually, there's that checks and balances the society can have on that. But as soon as you cross the border, right? Now it expands a little bit. Like if there was a gang in Malaysia or Thailand or something like that, then you have an ASEAN collaboration, right? Yeah. But if you have a Ukrainian crew or not a Ukrainian crew, you take a Russian crew hitting in Singapore, what did he do? Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I know that they have, I know that there are marketplaces like where you can buy, you know, there's one person who builds a DDoS system so that they can, so somebody else can buy the DDoS service to take out something so that they can install some malware in the back end while everybody's, while everybody's watching the DDoS go on. And, you know, and then mm-hmm. a third group will go in and exfiltrate the data. And then a fourth group will then sell the data on the internet. You know, that's like a very, there's a whole ecosystem. Very special, 
specialization started around 2008, where my specialty is I get you initial access. Yeah. And I sell you an initial access. Mm-hmm. And then others would go out there and, and do like, oh, you got a bunch of, you got a data dump. You got all these addresses out there. What's really scary is um, every single breach that happens, you see a breach. Um, there are criminal crews that collect all the breaches and build a database. Mm-hmm. And they provide a database. So like where the DDoS threat actors went today is they'll go to those databases and they'll get credit cards that have been stolen, but not yet been flagged yet, right? Mm-hmm. So they will still validate. So then they'll go over to cloud operators and they'll sign up for a one month free account. Right. And then they have a, and this is all, this is all scripted. So they have a script to go out there and one month free account, they'll create like 200 of them. All right. Then they'll have a command and control that triggers through them. And you get these DDoS attacks. So you get these DDoS attacks who say the biggest DDoS attacks ever. And they're from other cloud protection, right? You know, web application firewalls. And they think it's like really big attacks, but it's not. It's just adjacent. You got one cloud attacking another cloud. Right. But there's no attenuation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, how do you how do you get, you know, a five terabit attack down a hundred gigabyte connection? You don't. You know, it gets attenuated going down the path. But if you got two cloud, two edges next to each other, and this happens. And so right. you get a, this is kind of like the wave of attacks going on right now that we're addressing, again, through collaboration. Like in many of the cloud um, operators are going like, they'll they'll knock them down right away. But then the bad guys go grab more credit cards and create more, right? And it's just, so, so this is this is kind of like yeah. the, state of, the state of play today. But collaboration is going to go through and say, how do we set up things to prevent that from happening? And so uh, it's a, it's a chess game to see, you know, how we can, you know, turn, turn it around on the miscreants. Yeah. And I think part of the takeaway here has to be, yeah, it does feel like whack-a-mole, but it's really not. I mean, when you force an attack, like if I force an attacker to carpet bomb a slash 24 instead of a single IP address, I've caused them to use resources they wouldn't otherwise use and expose things they wouldn't otherwise expose, right? The more precise and the better attuned their attack can be, just like in a network, right? You want to optimize in your design. You want to optimize in your design. You want to use the least amount of resources possible to get a job done. You don't just go out and throw everything you got at it. That's not the way you work. Um, And these people are no different. So the more you can force these people to de-optimize their networks in order to, or de-optimize their tools in order to attack bigger targets or to even continue attacking, the more they're exposing, you know, it's, it's like, what was that book mm. where the guy put the keys over the, over the modem cables to force them to take longer to download the transfer so we could trace. It's exactly what it is, right? You're like, mm. Let's detune things and let's force them to like expose more, spend right. more time doing this. Then it becomes less profitable because right. it takes longer. It, it takes more resources. You're exposing more stuff. Right. I mean, you know, it, this is what it's all about. It's just like I've right. got to I've got to modify the economics of this situation because I'm not going to be able to modify the legal aspects in all cases, but I can modify the economics. And but. Also, be mindful that economics is one factor, 
But now that cyber war, I mean, a couple of months ago, we had the Russian-Ukraine cyber war activities. You yeah. had the uh, some India-Pakistan. You had India-China. You had China-Taiwan. <laughs> you know, and these are, you know, cyber war back and forth. And then you have uh, threat actors who are like, and this is kind of like Warren's, you know, apricot uh, 2001. I was doing a, a DDoS um resiliency workshop and one of the things i pointed out to people was that and i did some survey on some of the participants networks you know open snmp with cisco gear and juniper gear that had vulnerabilities in it and rest assured you know um china state actors and other state actors will infiltrate into the network yeah because if, if something went hot then there are state actors and their job is a general will come in and says, okay, shut down this cell phone network in another country. And they will have that cell phone network already pre-positioned vulnerabilities inside the network. Sleepers, sleeper cells. And we don't think yeah. about it in those terms, but you can go patch everything you want to, but if a sleeper cell is already in, they already have command and control. They already have command and control and they can be completely silent. So you just don't know they're there. Right. Yep. It could just be like a once a week ping or something that they're out there just checking things. So, yeah, I, it's it's very it's very difficult to figure a lot of this out. But, yeah, but you're right. I mean, the economics of it are when you get to state actors, it's a lot harder mm -hmm. to compete against the economic uh, economic pieces of it. I mean, it can still be done. Right. It can still countries can go bankrupt just like companies can. But it's just yes. a lot harder. Yes. Right. It's a lot bigger. So, yeah. So I don't have anything else. And I know that uh, Tom needs to cruise. So that sounds any, good. You have anything else, Tom? No, no. It's been a great conversation. Thank yeah, you, Barry. Great conversation. Barry. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, Tom, where can people find you if they want to? Uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. Just search for Tom Ammon. Okay. And Barry, I know you have sensei.org, right? Yeah. S-E-N-K-I.org. That's okay. I uh, post a lot of stuff there. Okay. And any place else? I mean, I guess Twitter and LinkedIn, but any place else? Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, the, the, that's the common ones. And I'm always uh, responsive. You know, you just people ping me and ask me questions. They prompt uh, blog articles or empowerment documents. Well, write things up that people forgot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You ought to write a book sometime here, Barry, about all this. Hey, I did that. I did one with Philip, <laughs> Philip Smith, right? You know? People still refer to it. How oh, do you good. build an out-of-band network? <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Barry, for coming on. And thanks for staying up so late in Thai in, uh, Singapore. I almost said Thailand. Yeah. No, Singapore. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I get you. Can, I don't know. Anyway, cool. All right. And um, for all you listeners out there, thanks for listening. We know that uh, your time and your attention are the crucial things today that, you know, you have a lot of other stuff going on. And thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Hedge, and we will catch you next time. Mm -hmm.